0: Hey heroes, welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of out of the box thinking when it comes to using the latest and greatest must have technology tools. A people first leadership approach and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Now, on with the show. Welcome. I am wicked excited to chat with today's guest. I'm going to welcome her right out of the gate, Deb Rosa boom. And uh, I'm so happy I got her name correct. Cause <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't look exactly the way that, that it sounds. So I'm, I'm, excited that I did that. So Deb is here from Geocom. Geocom was one of our sponsors for National Public Safety Telecommunicator Week back in April. And I just wanted to have them come on and talk about some of the amazing things that they're doing. Uh, But first, I just want to say, you know, Deb, welcome. How are you?
1: Good. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: Thank you. And I pass it on back to your folks. Thank you so much for your generous donation. Uh, each night that we went live and were able to give away a ton of prizes for telecommunicators across the U.S. So if you go to my website even now on scenefirst.com, telecommunicators can start putting their name in for next year. So uh, I, I realized that I always often start adding it later and not as many people get to register. So you can go to my website. There is a tab for a national public safety telecommunicator week. And so what you guys did, your generous sponsorship allowed me to ship all of the items that, were sent here or that i had purchased and got here uh and it was a lot like the the post office looked at me like (laughs) they have little things you can click and ship and all that stuff and i'm like no pumpkin this isn't something that i want to do on a regular basis this is like once a year stuff so i just want to say thank you for that please make sure that um it get back to your folks that 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 is what your your donation went to. So we were very pleased. That's
1: that's great to hear. Thank you for telling me that. I will make sure to pass it on.
0: Yeah, super (laughs) cool. So Geocom is I when I was with Rapid SOS, you guys were one of the first partners that we had started partnering with to get, you know, device space location built into integrations and things like that. So I get to know some of the folks on your team uh, pretty quickly. Right. But there was one really important thing that I want everybody to know about Geocom. And so if you see them at a conference, you need to go up to their booth. You need to tell them Tracy sent you and ask them for a pen.
1: Oh, my goodness. You're you're one of those. I am <laughs> You're one of our, our pen fans. I am. <laughs>
0: I am. And, and I keep joking that I want them to sponsor me. And, and so we can put on scene first on one side of the pen and then GeoCom on the other. Uh, I don't know what it is about these pens, but they are smaller and yeah. they have the little rubber thing on the end. Yeah, the stylus. Yep. But they're perfectly sized. And what I use them for is I use them on my trackpad on my laptop and it saves my wrists. Oh, nice.
1: Okay. Yeah. Let me ask you, though. Yes. Do you know that they write in 2 colored inks?
0: I do. And, and you know how I found that out? How? So I found out that it writes in two-color inks because I was sitting at my desk, and it was actually clean, and I was writing something. And then I got another call and I went to the bathroom and I got up for the 15th time to go to the refrigerator to look and see if yeah. there was something different there. And then I must have been playing with it because then I started writing again and it was a different color. <laughs> and you so now I'm
1: out your sanity maybe.
0: Yeah, and now I'm looking around I'm like where I was just writing in blue like why is it black now? And then I finally realized that it was the however you turn the pen, half of it's black and it's blue. And when I ever told that story and Ty was standing next to me at one of the conferences, he's like, what? I'm yeah. like, you don't know that your pens write two different colors. And okay now like, no.
1: This is this is kind of pervasive. Um you know how I learned <laughs> they write two different colors? From Ty? <laughs> no. The I think the first year that we offered them as swag, um I want to say, I'm trying to remember, this might have been five or six or more years ago. Yeah, And um, Cheryl Benjamin, who's my co-chair on the Nina's NG901 data model work group, she was, I don't remember if she was uh, retired at the time or not, but she was at the conference. She picked one up and then came back and was talking to us at the booth hours later, maybe the next day. I was like, yeah, this pen, these pens are really great. And it's my favorite thing. They write to both colors and everyone at the booth was blown away. What? (laughs) And I want to say that our marketing department was well aware. However, that just didn't make the memo of our like booth kickoff. You know, it wasn't something that was noted about the pen. It was like, here we've got pens. And I don't remember getting the full like, and these pens are awesome because they write two different colored inks and various other reasons. It's just suddenly... They were a hit yeah. and they are a very popular pen. And we get people that come back at at state conferences, at national conferences. That's me. Yeah, they come back and they load up on the pens. Like i got to get more of these pens.
0: <laughs> well, and I'm very happy to see. So you used to have blue ones, now you have red ones. So now yeah. I have I have both red and blue. My- okay. And the red's a really sharp color, red. So now, enough of that. I mean, yes, okay. it's important, but we're gonna hopefully get some folks at your yeah. booth and just make sure. And maybe I'll leave some stickers there too. So if somebody comes to the booth and and says Tracy sent me, then you can give them one of my stickers. How about that? Yeah. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll we'll make that happen because I know they'll be there. I love it. Dispatchers love their pens. Oh yes, and so also. Exactly. So you mentioned um, working with, with Nina on some GIS yeah. stuff. So before we jump into the actual geocom and the mapping and, and all that stuff and what you guys have to offer, can you tell me how you got your start in public safety? Like, where did you come from? How long? Uh, that just sounded like a Cotton Eye Joe song. Yeah. Where did you come I from? Know, right? you I know, right? I wondered
1: if you were going to start singing. No, uh, so it's funny. I So I'm a GIS person, right? Uh, yeah. I, and as as most GIS people, I went to school for natural resources. <laughs> so you okay. know, you go to you go to school for GIS. There's no there's no national programs or real study or coursework on GIS for public safety, or for certainly not for next gen 911. Um, sporadically, there's some universities and places that have developed coursework, but I went to school. I don't, I don't know, I won't say the year, but and in any case, <laughs> they weren't giving classes on public safety GIS, right? So I was thinking I, I was going to do ecology and field biology and do all these wonderful things with the park service and whatever. But then every job I was looking for required GIS. So yeah. I was like, well, I should figure out what that is. And I went back and I ended up liking it so much. I did the master certificate, got my GIS. And then I was in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And hey, a local company was hiring for GIS folks. That company is Geocom. And I got into it and it's been almost 20 years
0: that I've
1: stayed with them. And I've done almost a dozen different positions at this point. And it's from gathering the data making the layers you know make gathering like field data i moved to rural georgia and and uh collected gps points of every quote habitable structure over six months and lived in a fishing village and that was kind of wild and then came back and i i was doing more data builds and cleanup and and maintenance work and then i ended up running a team of gis people and then on, on to being a project manager and from project manager, I went into like a consultant uh, kind of role. And then eventually I moved out to Oregon when uh, we acquired a small GIS outfit that was doing similar public safety GIS work out in Oregon. Yeah. And so I took over, um, managed that acquisition and ran that team for a few years before I moved into my current role in product and, and did some solutions engineering there in the middle. And so just done a ton of things. But it's all around public safety GIS. And as I've been um, you know, evolving in my career, I've gotten more and more involved in in Nina's development work groups for all the different standards and informational documents. Um, anyone that's not aware, and most people are aware, right? Of, NG911 GIS data model. It's the structure for GIS data that's the fuel for all next gen systems, right? So
0: and, and and Deb, you'd be surprised at how many people don't, right? So we've been yeah. talking about this for a wicked long time. Yeah. And but there are there are definitely folks out there who are not familiar with it. So I I hope we can peel yeah. back some of those layers is just kind of give like the a general overview of it. And I yeah. also know that there's some folks like I had a conversation with somebody from Massachusetts today, who wants to get more involved, wants mm-hmm. to, you know, there's, she feels like there's more to this career for her. And she's kind of been in a smaller center. And I came from a smaller center in Massachusetts, too. And our state 911 department are the folks that deal with all that stuff. So a lot of times we're not even exposed to it. So yeah. so maybe this might be, um, you know, a good place to just maybe give a quick overview of yeah. the you know next gen gis and and why that plays such a pivotal role and then we'll kind of get into what you guys are doing but i think having that foundation would be good
1: oh absolutely i uh, i i teach this all the time actually so look uh, at that yeah <laughs> <laughs> so 911 systems today are are by and large still functioning off of uh, most of the old legacy networks the the telephone systems the you know, copper wire landline-based networks and architecture that was put in place when nine one one was begun, and it's uh, they are they're old, they're fragile, they have very limited capabilities with the data pipeline. You know that that it can handle yep. it can really only handle the voice of the caller and and the telephone number, and that factors into your selective routing. So you've got this tiny little pipeline and a and a small amount of information in addition to the the actual caller's voice that is then you know doing tabular lookups and and deciding where that uh, figuring out where that call needs to be routed to based on these kind of old uh tabular based systems and then all of the evolution of technology that's happened since 911 came about back in 1968 right it's evolved into enhanced 911 kind of in the 90s and then now we're, mo- we're moving towards next gen and as as uh when it, when it all began, it was all landline based and nobody was thinking mobile phones, right? right. Or any other type of technology, but technology evolves. And all of that technological evolution has had to be sort of reverse engineered to run off of these old legacy networks. And so you have to do all kinds of, uh, technological gymnastics right to to make things work on the the networks and the infrastructure that exists today and that also leads to a lot of outages uh, potential misroutes and a lot of things now I mean obviously it's it's working it's functional but there's there's lots of risk and sensitivity and yeah. just kind of fragility to those systems right so well and
0: mapping is kind of a big deal when it comes to 911 yeah. I'm just saying.
1: It's huge. And uh <laughs> right? yeah. So so that's the thing is that you're you're used to thinking of GIS data and mapping as just what's what's in the PSAP uh, after the call already arrives there, right? So you've got the map in front of you, you're trying your, your best to locate that emergency as quickly as possible with the data at your fingertips. But it's all based on how it's routed and how it's been configured kind of on the back end and these these legacy systems, right? So it gets there and you're really when we're talking about wireless, you're relying on the voice of that caller and their ability to communicate to figure out where that emergency is. In, in the beginning with the enhanced 911, the alley was coming in. All the phone calls from 911 primarily were coming in from landlines and it's pre-programmed with a fixed address location where yeah. that. Own is. That is not the case today. I don't know what the latest stat is. I hear anything from 80 to 90 to 95% is wireless calls today,
0: right? I would definitely say, I mean, it was 80 to 90% when I first started at Rapid SOS, yeah. and that was like seven years ago ish. And yeah you know, that was 89. And in most places you could get 95 easily depending on, you know, that area. So we definitely know that it has, it has increased for sure. And it was funny because when I was, you know, trying to get folks to understand the magnitude of, of device-based technology, I would get feedback from folks like our mapping system stinks. And it's like, no, it's actually not the mapping system. It's, it's the location that's, coming in. Right. Yeah. So, so happy to have kind of got better there as well. So, well,
1: yeah. I mean, phase, phase one wireless was a big deal, but it really, it's the sector. All, all it did was give you the sector and that sector could be Omni. It could be sectorized in a wedge pie. Right. But it's still a huge range of where that actual, emergency is taking place where that collar is. Yeah. And then even with, with phase two and and triangulation and and the ability to tighten in on that a little bit, there's still a pretty large, you know, uncertainty in- interval around it that the collar could be in. Right. So rapid SOS coming on the scene was just revolutionary. Right. And being a able big deal. To, tighten, to tap into the device based location and, and tighten that certain uncertainty to maybe like 10 feet. Yeah. is amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, And I, and like I said, you guys were one of the first yeah. that um, I, I, I know it wasn't the first. I would I wouldn't say that in a sense, but but you guys were one of the first. And I just remember seeing, you know, the little yeah. icons going, oh, my God, like this is it. This is this is yeah. really happening. <laughs> so obviously, Geocom is wanting to advance and and get this get us into this next place. So let's yeah. let's go back a little bit. And and tell us about GeoCom because I think there's a like a as as we were you know kind of chatting about your roles there is there's Mm -hmm. a lot of different lanes right so so why don't you give us a general overview of GeoCom?
1: Sure. So uh, GeoCom started back in 1995, right? So we're we're, what are we leading up to math wise? Thirty, almost thirty years. Um, So oh my god,
0: that's I was as a baby dispatcher 96. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so that's it's a couple of years off, but let's not uh, do that math. I know, and and there's some wild stories about the company and how it got started, and the first um, application that was built that they called Mapped Alley, which was you know a map to display your alley or your landline nine one one calls. Right, that's kind of how it all got started. But for, w- alongside that is, of course, the desire to well, number one, it was the '90s and enhanced nine one one and just the overall. um, Assignment, construction and assignment of, of locatable addressing. So Geocom alongside with, with the mapping applications was a services company from the start with creating, uh, working with counties to create an addressing system and then go out and collect the data and assign addresses for the first time that were more of, you know, 123 Main Street as opposed to rural route box style addressing that doesn't tell you anything except the sequence of the mail delivery right right um, you'd still be amazed how many people wanted to cling on to that address uh because they don't like change but it still yeah. was those are the big projects and 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 solutions that got us started right and then that that was uh that that evolved into a, a lot of services wrapped around uh GIS data collection creation. Building road layers, building address point layers, assigning addresses, assigning address ranges to the segments, all of the things that are used in location validation. So when you have that caller that's saying, "I'm at one two three main street or "I'm at whatever," you know, then the call taker's typing it in, and that that's validating against this locally authoritative GIS data. So that's how Geocom got started was, these solutions and services and it's grown from there into more advanced tactical mapping solutions into ng core services into broader definitions more gis services because a lot of folks now have gone live with all those systems of course in the intervening years but maybe they need some help on the public safety side gis technology on the whole has also grown and evolved a lot at the same time So if you have agencies that are reliant on local government GIS for their roads and their address points and all that data, those local governments are also doing tax revenue uh, GIS data. They're doing public works utilities. They're doing parks and rec. They're doing on and on and on and on and on. So then public safety GIS is just one of a whole slew of priorities and not necessarily always the top. So we offer services to come in and say, hey, we'll help you. We'll clean up your data. If you need us to maintain it for your 911 systems, we can do that. We have, like I said, we've got our own mapping applications, cloud-based and and desktop-based solutions. We have... NG core services eCRF LVF NCS you know just as we participate in the whole public safety solution ecosystem what we've offered has grown as well and then because we know how the systems work and operate and function and then we're also building the data that fuels them because if we we kind of touched on it before but at the at the center of all next generation 911 at the center of all mapping is GIS data right yeah. and GIS data in the beginning and then through the enhanced way, the enhanced timeframe is is really about the map in the PSAP and being able to locate that caller. Next Gen takes it the next step. It's also in the PSAP, but it's being used before the call is ever placed. It's replacing your MSAG for validating your addressing and your locations, right? Instead of checking against your MSAG, you're checking against GIS data. And then that information is being used as well when the call, the live 911 call is being routed. Your ECRF, has boundaries now, spatial boundaries of the PSAPs that are going to be taking these calls. So you're not just looking at a list of roads in a high-low range and everything that you'd see in an MSAG. You're looking at a polygon that says spatially, where do you take calls? And that's going to cover parks and wilderness and all kinds of spaces that aren't attached exactly to roads. To an address. You know? Yeah, or or addresses. And you have to figure out you know what is your responsibility for receiving these calls and then determining if you're also dispatching and responding, or then you know transferring elsewhere. But the point is that it's GIS data that is first validating before the call is ever placed, and then being used to route the live nine one one calls based on the boundaries that are drawn and the attributes behind those those boundaries, and what where in the network it needs to be sent. So well, it's and
0: and I huge. think to where we are today, like this should have been happening a while ago. Right. So yeah. so to finally see these things, these yeah. things happening, um, two points I want to make one, I'm never living at one, two, three main street because that is where everything <laughs> right. happens. Exactly. And I, use, I use that address in all my training too. Right. Like one, two, three main street.
1: Yeah. Or it's all it's Oak the... street or Oak Avenue or there's so many others. Yep. And yeah. And then the other
0: thing is for my E and P study group students, she hmm. said, ECRF, what is it? do you remember emergency call routing function so there you go you're starting to hear these terms and i think yes. you know with a lot of folks that are coming into wanting to take the enp exam everything you're talking about right now is yeah. stuff that we should be aware of we should be knowing and understanding especially when it comes to building out these these new systems
1: yeah absolutely i think uh ng911 content is is uh being added more and more into the ENP exam as well. Oh yeah, oh Not absolutely. Not that you have to be a technical expert on it necessarily. It's just the concepts and the the it's it's being added more. I think when I took the ENP it was something like ten percent on you know technology GIS stuff. <laughs>
0: and, yeah, and, now yeah, it's it's a there's sprinkling of next yes, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's definitely there's definitely more on there now, but it also makes sense. I know that whenever I would go to conferences and stuff, I was always going towards the warm and fuzzy, like yeah. how to like everybody in the center, and I would shy <laughs> away from anything technology. So I'm going to just start off by saying thank you for doing what you do because I could never nor would I ever want to do what you do. There's too many details. (laughs) My ADHD is not capable of doing something like like what you do. But I love that you love to do that because everybody has their lane. And for some, it's a super interesting concept so
1: well so i'm a data geek at heart yeah, yeah i am absolutely I'm not. but then then you know you get into the the nina development work groups and you find kindred spirits very quickly and people are very passionate so i remember you know when when next gen was was really um some of the earlier catchphrases i would always hear is things like oh the MSEG goes away next gen and this this happens and that happens and i and as i've learned more and as the technology has evolved i've been like oh i wish people would stop saying that like the MSEG doesn't just disappear you know It, it transitions to gis data over time right but um but I, I learn all that by getting involved, by getting in the work groups. And so when that first version of the data model, the work group started in 2010, and I jumped in and, and was part of that whole eight-year <laughs> labor of love to get that standard cranked out. And then afterwards, when it became you know the next versions, that's when I uh, stepped into a, a co-chair role in the group. And you realize there's just there's so much that is going on and so much that still has to be documented and understood. And technology is constantly going to be an evolving right it's nothing's ever done people used to talk about end state i3 and i even i use the term too i'm like there's no end state right it is it is constantly technology is constantly changing so will the architecture not in a way that it's throwing everything out and starting from scratch each time it's just evolving right it's building and growing and and transitioning into new and different things but yeah but yeah you get involved in those work groups and and people are are real passionate. And yeah. it's usually, it's on the, the, the technological concepts down to the placement of commas, man. Oh yeah. It can be.
0: <laughs> I, I worked with Jim Marshall on the, the Nina <laughs> wellness standard, the yeah. transition from the 2013 standard and, and I realized, it, you know, how challenging it is to number one, like like getting everybody together to have it. And we were doing it right smack dab in the middle of Mm -hmm. COVID. But what I also know is it is important to get involved. Like I had never been on a Nina committee at that point. Mm -hmm. And then I was kind of roped into being the chair and I had no idea what I was doing, but the best part about it is we had our fearless leader, Delane, who was, you know, Yes. We miss her. Um, we but that she was such a wealth of knowledge and and she had to start somewhere too. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's always somebody there to help you. Yeah. As far absolutely. as the, those, you know, we'll, maybe we'll talk, we'll come back around to the, you know, to the, to the working groups and stuff. Cause it can be super intimidating. Right. It like, can
1: be. Yeah. You don't want to speak up. You don't want to ask what you think might be a dumb question, but there are no dumb questions. Right. I mean, I, there's, there's plenty of opportunity to kind of be a fly on the wall and just listen. Or if you feel that you have the experience and knowledge that you want to participate and help shape them jump on in as well. Right. It's, yeah. it's, um, you just fill out the the web form and, and, uh, you get added to the group and, and the rest is history. Right. But, and then yeah. of course there's been more and more work groups around just to, because GIS plays such a pivotal role. There's, there's something like I don't know, 12, 15 different documents that all have a GIS component to them.
0: Wow, and and the and the other thing is having to keep track of what it says over here. Yeah, so we're really so all working on that.
1: <laughs> so, I, but it comes down to obviously, you know, the I three architecture standard, the GIS data model standard that I was I've. Um, Become a co-chair of, and then the CLDXF. Those are that's kind of the trifecta. That's the three together that really govern, you know, GIS data, its use in in NG nine one one, and and all of the location elements. And what
0: was are- that last one? I don't I don't remember that
1: CLDXF. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> that's the it's the profile of pitiflow and pitiflow is the new structure valley, right? Gotcha. So okay, it, yep. that's the simplistic explanation of it. Um, and so it, that's the structure of the, of, of the location information, but then that's, that gets queried and conveyed via queries and GIS data. So then that has to inform the GIS data. So we're now we're really like tightly enmeshed and working with each other on all of these different documents and versions. Who's publishing when? How big of an overhaul is it? Can we incorporate those changes together? We're trying to sync them up as closely as possible so that we, there's less and less of an issue of, disparate standards with conflicting information that people get confused by. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a work in progress, but it's definitely getting there.
0: Oh yeah. It's, it's in, and and there's a lot of, it's just a lot of information to kind of download and understand. And like I said, in Massachusetts, we didn't do a whole lot with ours. I just, I know that Massachusetts would take care of all of that stuff and and we just knew the bare minimums. And so I know folks are, are, out there that that need to to get to know this stuff on on a different level
1: yeah and so i've been talking about the standards but the other thing that's been great is the the Edition of informational documents. There's been informational documents out there for a while, yep. but uh, something like six or seven years ago, work started on something called GIS data stewardship for NG 911, and that okay. really speaks directly to the GIS data providers that are being asked to do all of this. So there's the standards that give the structure. The structure is important, and it 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 uh, assists with vendors and building solutions and all of those things. It's also what the GIS data providers, you know, need to their data has to to be able to transform into it so they need to make sure locally they have all these things but then it's how do I accomplish this so there's a <laughs> GIS data right so there's a GIS data stewardship informational document that came out the first version came, was published a few years ago and then they spun up two additional simultaneous work groups because they, the first version just focused on the PSET boundary because that's a number one calls are not going to route without a PSET boundary right that's that's yeah. what the ECR requires it's got to be spatially accurate, no overlaps and gaps. And, you know, it's going to route the calls where they need to go. But location validation requires center lines and address points and these other things. And so they spun up a group to focus on center lines and then another one to focus on the um, additional service boundaries of police, fire, EMS, right? And because that's, it, it all has to work together both for responder information, for for call transfers, for all of it. But so the, the RCL, Road Center Line, and the emergency service boundaries, those actually just completed their work and they merged it into version one. It's gone through all of the processes and it's now in stable form. So in about, I don't know, one to two months, I think that will be officially published and it'll be a great expanded resource for GIS data folks to be like, how do I do this? And what yeah. do I need to be thinking about? Because again, these the GIS folks, they're doing tax parcels, they're doing... Utility data, water, sewer, storm water—it's totally different requirements. Right, right. So, so stewardship is good. There's there's other informational documents that are coming out that we're doing a better job of explaining it all and helping people that that are being tasked with all of this. So. Yeah
0: because it's a yeah, big deal super, it, it, it <laughs> is it is a big deal and so I, I do have a question specifically about geocom as like some of the offerings yeah. that you have but am am i correct in remembering that you guys play a significant role with the eprc as well yes. the nina what is it Enhanced peace registry registry Incensus. Incensus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I had to look it up the other day because I always forget what the C stands for.
0: Yeah, I know but, uh, I know E T R C and so I remember the old, you know, Nina PSAP registry that when I first started at Rabbit SOS, I was working off of and it, it yeah. was it was not wonderful. Um, because it, you know, it was just dated, right? Yeah. Like you don't know, and there were just so many you know, abandoned PSAPs, things like that. Yeah. One of the things that I, I teach about the EPRC in um, a handful of the classes that I do, because a lot of folks don't even know that it exists. So instead mm-hmm. of me explaining kind of what it is, would you give your synopsis of what it is? Because it's a free tool that everybody should have access to in their 911 centers.
1: Yeah, And it's uh, so it used to be, like you said, kind of a tabular lookup. If you just needed to know some contact information of another PSAP, you could just look it up and get some info. But if you don't know what the name of it is, or if you yeah. don't know what to search for, uh, that's complicated. So the, so Geocom contracted with Nina, again, maybe five, six years ago. Everything is like five or six yeah. years ago in my brain. So I don't do It's remember. probably
0: like 10. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Because so not- <laughs> technically with COVID, you lost three years. So. I know it's all, all the know, time. time mean, more. Those
1: three years don't even exist. <laughs> I have no idea what year it is. So, <laughs> so we contracted with Nina to turn the, e- the, the EPRC into a GIS based lookup system. Yeah. So it was, it was taking a, you know, publicly available base map um, and then taking uh, information about publicly available PSAP boundaries for the entire country. Now publicly Publicly available does not mean always current, relevant, et cetera. But yeah. then it was ongoing services to work with these with all of the the PSAPs that have access to it and are participating in it. To, we'll take their updated boundaries and make the adjustments as well. And then we publish it out uh, onto this, this web map that people can access. And then in those circumstances that still happen all too often where, say, somebody has a VoIP line and they move across the country and they don't update their address, right? And then the call gets rerouted states away from where it needs to be.
0: Yeah,
1: does happen. And now you, you're you a call takers trying to desperately to search for an address that surely does not exist in your data because you're in Colorado and they're in Michigan. Right. Yep. And you don't realize that until you start getting farther and farther into the call. And then by that point, you're delaying the response, at, you know, all just longer and longer, the more time you're, you're taking to figure out where they are based on data. That's just not in your data set. Well, and I so- know a lot
0: of folks too. <laughs> so as I start talking about this before I get into like, actually what it is, what, what, what you'll, you know, yeah. jump in there too, is, um, I will explain to them, that, you know, how many of you are jumping onto Google? So once I identify, yeah. so with, so uh, with Rochester, I lived in Rochester, Massachusetts. That's where I worked. There was a Rochester, New York, Michigan, Minnesota, New Hampshire. Um,
1: I graduated from Rochester,
0: Minnesota. Right. Go so Rockets. we would we were a super <laughs> small agency and, and somebody would call and be like, I'm on I whatever. And, and you know, I, I'm like in Rochester, mass. And they're like, no, New Hampshire. And I, I'd have to get that call transferred out. And a lot of folks will say today, you know, oh, I could just Google the phone number. And what I will tell you is again, going back to trying to reach out to PSAPs and stuff. There is a very large percentage of PSAPs that do not put their state on their their website. So I could Google yeah. Rochester, yeah. Minnesota, and yeah. I'm getting Rochester, New York. So you know this is why we have a lot of missed routes too. Folks will look yeah. a number up quickly and they'll get a yep. different state. So keep going because I, well, yeah. I love so this, this is, free tool.
1: Yeah, so so to continue the analogy, right? If you're now now you can when you realize they're in a different state, you can go to an actual map and look up their address in, you know, look it up in a a nationwide map that is in the state where they're at. You can determine because it'll narrow in on the actual PSAP polygon for where they live. And you can pull the contact information for that PSAP directly from the map. So, you know, it's in the right spot and then go through the motions that you need to do to then transfer that, not transfer, but, you know, get that PSAP engaged to handle that call. Right. Because that's the other thing, where, you know, ne- eventually with NextGen, we'll, we would be able to just transfer that call.
0: But Exactly. Well, and sometimes, this. and I'll, I'll just throw this out there too, is I, I had a couple of folks that hadn't manually transferred a call in a really long time. And, no. and when the squid hits the sand and you have to figure it out, so here's your <laughs> reminder to go practice manually transferring a call from your agency to your next ag- agency, nice. just hint, hint, wink, wink, right? Because right. you know it's going to happen now. You're going to yeah. get that call. It's somebody else's flaming bag. And now you have to get rid of it. So exactly. So so, here's your reminder.
1: So the EPRC does a lot of great things. At the core of it, though, is just that capability to log in and look up locations and find contact information for PSAPs so that you you need to get engaged on an emergency, whether it's directly transferring the call, if it's a you know a neighboring jurisdiction or if it's across the country or whatever it is. And you're doing it based on on the map, on the actual location of that emergency. And so yeah. the, the other the other example we, to, we talked through is, you know, I live in Oregon. My parents are still back in Minnesota, so if I'm on a on a call with my mom and something starts to happen and I want to get 911 engaged, right? If I call 911 in Oregon, that's in Oregon. Yeah. But if I, you know, that's that's another another use case because I will call 911. I'll be yeah. like, no, I, it's not me. It's not where your system is showing me located. It's my mom in Minnesota. And- right. Well, and the other
0: thing, so (laughs) a lot of folks that listen to me know my passion for multi-line telephone systems and misrouted calls based on, you know, calls going to Northern 911 in Canada and other, you know, emergency call relay centers. And so when that call gets sent to you and it should be somewhere else, you should be able to very quickly identify this information. And the other benefit that I love too is, well, and I'm going to go back to something in a second, but... In my agency, my, my Rochester communication center was absorbed by a regional center. So if oh, I'm yeah. in Rochester, I might be looking for a 911 center in Rochester and not be able to find it. Right. So,
1: well, and that's the thing, the more people that do dive in and provide their information, the better it gets. The more that's what I was just, that's what I was just going to say. Absolutely. So t- touch
0: on the importance of, of that. Yeah. And if
1: I'm not sure if, if you'll have the ability to put the website, you know, in the details of the podcast, yeah, 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 I would do that, and then uh, wh- whoever's listening, whatever piece app you're a part of, you know, go check the link and see what it looks like for your area, and see if if you are a registered user or how you can become a registered user. Yeah. Or how you can try to link up your GIS resource with um, submitting your data. So that the the entire system can be improved. Well, because,
0: because it, it's it's yeah. consistent with garbage in, garbage out, right? Exactly. So you Perfect. you yep. give them as much. And I encourage folks, every class that I do, I think the email that you can reach out to until I get it in there is um, 911EPRC at nina.org. And you email them and there's two different types of accounts. There's the frontline telecommunicator account where if I'm on the front line I don't need anybody's permission to, to, to get access to that. I have to show that I work in a police department, right. That you have to validate mm-hmm. that information, but then there's right. an admin request and the admin person is the person that's going to be responsible yeah. for maintaining that, that information. So if you're listening and you're a frontline folk, go back and tell mom or dad, whoever is running your center yeah. that you want this <laughs> for Christmas. Well, and it's been great. Yep. It's
1: been great too, where we know there are states that are in the midst of uh statewide NG nine oh one deployments and, you know, have prioritized their PSAP boundaries. We've we've also been able to work with state contacts and just bring in an entire state worth of PSAP polygons, which is fantastic to be able to update it. But again, all of those frontline users that want to log in and be able to access that information. Yep. You know, I, I look at it from both sides. There's the use that that what you're promoting is is totally right just go sign up see if you can get in there and start searching around and then it's also been great for us on the on the back end to be able to try to coordinate with some of the state level folks and the data that's being built for next gen at that topmost level and then bring that all in because it it does get hard when it's piecemeal you know one agency at a time and yeah. you know a million different gis sources you know we'll take it all we'll make it work but
0: and no, it's my it's my understanding, yeah. too, is that Nina just put somebody full time into the role of yeah. maintaining That's this. Right. So I saw that. So I, I love that. So before we get ready to kind of I, I want you to talk a little bit about Geocom itself. If if you had a couple of things that you wanted to let, like, what is the funnest thing? because I'm, I'm a fun person. I'm not a boring person. I like fun. Um, <laughs> one thing I do want you to touch on, which I will tell you is is uh z access in a minute yes uh, because that's something that we know we talk about all the time but tell me what is like the funnest thing you guys are doing right now or working on and when i say fun i really mean like productive that is going to really help that telecommunicator more effectively do their job
1: oh man i thought i was gonna talk about our fun committee
0: oh we have a fun committee okay we can talk about that
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean I can talk about the other thing too, but Okay. All right. We
0: should at least talk about that and then see, you know, how much time we have left. And so I mean in my company, I'm the CEO, which mm-hmm. actually stands for Chief Energy Officer. It has nothing to do with like the real meaning of it. So Right, right. You no, know, we just you gotta have good energy. So yeah.
1: No, there are so, but really, I, I the the people at GeoCom are, are just uh, are really incredible. You know, I've got a, a great um, complement of coworkers that um, that are all very knowledgeable and passionate, and uh, and yeah, we've got a fun committee. So. Love it. Uh, you know, the, when the pandemic hit, the teams of folks doing a lot of the, the day-to-day work, it was a huge change. And the, the fun committee existed forever. I, I was on it back in the day, and I did some fun things. But uh, it became even more important with the pandemic and everyone becoming so remote and disconnected to try to find ways to just bring people together. To and, reconnect, and host, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Virtual events and um from little trivia competitions to there's also like fitness competitions and step challenges. And that's and great because we were
0: not moving a lot.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of different things uh, that way. And then, and then what we're working on as a company, like out for the, for the industry, it is some of the, the vertical location ZX stuff that's going on. Um, we've, we've built and released recently something called a vertical location service. And it's, it's because the, you know, carriers are now sending that, that Z-axis, that vertical location element, but I don't know if you've ever seen it and it's raw
0: feed. I have. Yeah. It's
1: gibberish. Yeah. It
0: it doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
1: No. And so I'll, I'll try to, I'll try to verbally describe this without a a visual aid, but you know, that's being sent as something called height above ellipsoid and an ellipsoid is this mythological idealized perfect um, circle of a globe. And, and Earth is pretty bumpy, yep. you know, um, and so so the height above ellipsoid is a height above a, a, you know, illogical, but scientifically logical, but real world kind of illogical line, right? And so yes. when then you have to look at how to translate that into something called height above terrain, because your terrain is where you have all your bumps coming in, right? And then, and how far above the ground is, and can we actually then translate? translate into a floor number because each floor is maybe 10 feet or 12 feet or 14 feet or something. And so how do you take that value and then translate it? So so that's what we've built is something called a vertical location service that does that. And it's been really interesting to see that compared um, and then plotted on a, a 3D map service that shows this sort of, we call it a cylinder of uncertainty because instead of a flat, you know, the phase two circle of uncertainty. Yeah. You're talking now about also a vertical uncertainty. And so, how far up, you know, up or down in, in, um, uh, does it need to go? And then that same XY circle of, of uncertainty. And so, you start looking at, at 3D building images and this cylinder of uncertainty and, and narrowing into a caller's location in within buildings. And it's been pretty amazing to see um, to see that evolve. And I know we're doing a lot of work on that and further offerings with that. We're also um, really looking at the um, school safety market and looking at mapping indoor spaces of schools to coordinate more effectively with, yeah. with emergencies, right? And building in all of those hallways and room names and and multiple floors of of data so that tragically when events yeah. and say when when they happen, right, there's more resources available to help guide responders so that if callers are saying I'm in the gym or I'm in the choir room or I'm in the whatever, you have those rooms mapped and labeled and and searchable. And you know, so it's it's pretty cool stuff. That's very, very relevant relevant, you know, very important work that's being done, and it's kind of our our latest offering. And that's in addition to all of the the still very core, very important GIS data work for next gen, because there's still a lot of that going on out there oh yeah uh, and and whether it's services to help people get there whether it's tools you know if you have a competent good energetic gis department that has the ability to focus on it or maybe even staffed and and uh directly by the agency we have tools that can help tools and solutions that'll help those gis folks do you know just narrow in on the the public safety parts of their job and, yeah. and and make it simpler for them so
0: and when when you were talking about those nuances so i'll i'll go back you know i i always go back to the when i was with rapid sos and sense for some of these conversations because it was super relevant where mm-hmm. i would be doing a, a education session and i couldn't even finish saying like hey we have like a you know we you have phase 2 then device based and like yeah. we're down to like 5 meters and they're like well what about z access and i'm like can we, can we get can we get can we get can we get the <laughs> The actual location first, like, can we, can we start there? Like, how about that? Come on,
1: let's pause and celebrate. <laughs> like, no, let's celebrate let's celebrate this.
0: Like, like yeah. I, I would always joke that when that location would come in from Rapid SOS, it was like the Sims when they had the little yeah. green diamond over their head. Like when the officer showed up, there'd be a green diamond on their head, like the location yeah. icon. <laughs> but as you were talking about that I was I was remembering when you were talking about like figuring out the floor numbers and stuff so yeah. so two things came to mind as you were saying that number 1 there are a lot of buildings that do not have a 13th floor
1: agreed yep. right
0: so that's a challenge. And number yep. two, I remember going to, I can't remember what state it was, but I know it was in Alexandria, um, Michigan, Minnesota. I'm not, I can't remember right off the top of there my head. There is an Alexandria, Minnesota. I don't know well, if that was the one you went to. Well, it, it, I think, I think it is, but I'm geographically challenged. So like, yeah, I'm super like, if you're going to give me directions, please don't use words like East and West. <laughs> Oh man. Like I'm going towards her away. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, um, the other thing that at the hotel that they had the conference at in Alexandria, you walked in the door on the fourth floor and it was built like into the side of a mountain. So Mm -hmm. to go to the first floor, you actually had to go down from the main floor that you walked in on. So, you know, a lot of folks are wanting this. They, there just has to have be this appreciation that it's, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot to translate. It's a lot to learn. And, you know? Well yeah and
1: it's it's important to know that um I'm I may be off on my my timing of things so I want to say it's the the largest maybe 25 urban markets are where um this data is currently coming in your alley and it's going to continue to expand right it, it will yep. eventually be the whole country but it, what it means is you may already be getting it and you may not know it or you yeah. may not have your mapping or your cad system appropriately parsed to show it yeah and Again, right now in its raw form in the alley, it's it, it's not necessarily, you know, doing much for you. Yeah, um, but that's where this translation piece comes in that makes it actually relevant and actionable. That's and, huge. And it's, it, it's,
0: it's huge. It's, it's huge. And it's so cool to see
1: it because it's no. kind of like, what oh, I'm trying to remember. I want to say that the entire United States, with the exception of parts of Alaska, are actually negative in a height above ellipsoid value. Because, like I said, it's this theoretical model of the earth. So the almost the entirety of the United States is actually a negative value when you see it come in for height above ellipsoid. But when you change it to height above terrain, you start to get your topography in there and your Buildings and your floors, and you act it actually makes sense for where you are and the different elevation changes and things like that. So it's just uh, it's really cool to see it turned into something that makes sense. Because if I was to see a value that was negative, I'd be like, you know, if I'm in Colorado, I'm not a negative anything, right? I'm a right, right. city, right? Right. So so it's just great to see it turned into something useful. But it as we're you know releasing these solutions and things, you just have to be aware too that it may be coming in your alley. It may be available, and whether you you may want to see it parsed out to begin with, because uh, or maybe it's too confusing and too much information. But just be aware that it's there. It's Yes, and um, well, and
0: start to look for it too. And I know so some directors, even even just the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. I I talk about the uncertainty values a lot in my classes. There's been an unfortunate uh, incident where that uncertainty looking at the uncertainty could have have played a significant role because yeah. there was a question of were they here at this place that's named that or here with this place and and the uncertainty yeah. was like 25 meters so yeah. that's really close to to where you're looking at so t- to know that and when i talk about it You know, I'll ask folks, do you know where the uncertainty meters are on your alley? And sometimes folks, they don't know. And sometimes it's not being displayed and it's a matter of reaching out to your provider to say, hey, this is part of phase two information and we should be seeing (laughs) it. Right. Like it's been there. So let's use it. Right. Right. But then on the flip side, I know, I know, I knew where it was, and never in the history of ever did I say to my officer, "Yeah, I'm ninety five percent confident it's within three thousand meters, right, right? right?" But it there could come a time that that data that is available is is needed. So this has been a super cool conversation. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Thank you. Very easy to talk to. Thank you. (laughs) And and I'm not even like, I don't I don't love Matt. Like I I I always joke, like. Sometimes I say jokes that are funny, but I will tell you, people think this, but just in case you're somebody, I don't need to know who needs to hear this, but Alaska is not an island near Hawaii, right? right. So <laughs> they, they put it down there on the map. They screw up little kids. And until they have access to a globe, they don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, I I appreciate you guys. Number one, I, I appreciate the time that you're taking to have a chat with me. Uh, yeah. I would love to, you know, chat more on some things, yeah. especially maybe, with some stuff with the Nina p exam. Uh you guys hold a lot of value with, you know, explaining some of these terms and and things like that. So definitely uh excited to see how that looks. But we gotta wrap up and I'm bummed because we could, we could just keep talking, but I know we
1: could very easily.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So definitely go over uh, this podcast should be launching. I'm thinking it's going to be launching right before national app co, which is in Nashville uh, the first week of August. So that's my hope. So if you're hearing this and you're heading to, to Nashville, make sure you go over and say hi to the geocom folks and get a pen and, and a sticker.
1: (laughs) Please do stickers. (laughs) Yes. We, we, and we love to talk data. We love to talk GIS, next gen, vertical location, everything. Some so. of these
0: cool things. And don't forget to go find your access to the Nina EPRC too. And, exactly. and use some of these tools that are available to us and, and they don't cost anything. They just, your time and understanding. And we're so appreciative that you guys are, are working with Nina on that. So keep up the great work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Hey heroes, we hope you enjoyed the show. Please like and follow me on my On Scene First social media so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Remember, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you.